Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this batch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 361 We Need Money Fortress Singapore Conference Room Alright now that everyone's had their fun and our boss and lady boss are away on their honeymoon. Commander Ford gave a mischievous grin at the gathered senior officers. It's time for us little mice to start making havoc in their absence. The officers at the head of departments laughed while Chief Mac growled and said, Why mice? Cause Pinky and the brain, they're mice, someone retorted, and they always want to take over the world. Another chorus of laughter greeted the sentence as Commander Ford gestured for everyone to tone down. All right, fun's over. Time to get serious. I have gone through all the departments and ministry reports and frankly, I'm very glad to say that I have no complaints nor has any crap come up, Commander Ford said to a round of applause. Good work. But I've noticed something that's going to kick us in the nads. Commander Ford paused and glanced at Dr. Sharon. Um, I mean, our rears, if it continues to go on. Everyone gave looks of confusion to each other and some even quickly flipped through their tablets and paper reports to check if anything was amiss. Well, I give the stage over to our account officer and HR department. Commander Ford gestured to a petite female dressed in the ship's work uniform. Warrant Officer Jean, please brief the rest. The short warrant officer stood up and activated a display screen where a series of graphics were shown. I'll cut things short. In another eight months, we, the UN, will run out of money. Looks of surprise were expressed and everyone's faces they heard the news. W.O. Jean tapped on a series of commands the display changed showing a table of expenses. Originally, we had the combined reserves of 783,234 gold and silver, but with the current actions involving Norshelm, W.O.G. highlighted a column and presentation, we used up approximately 132,000 gold and silver just on humanitarian efforts after the city was destroyed. Following that, another 60,000 on rehoming the refugees, W.O.G. added, then the military total expended over 230,000 gold and silver worth of munitions for the entire operation. Now, while Haven will not be affected much due to our use of our own printed currency, Jean continued, we will see a sufficient increase in market prices of imported goods and services. Also, it'll be effect of our buying power and policies in both Orwell's Point and Fallage, as well as requiring gold and silver for those two cities well, had not converted over to our own printed currency yet. But didn't we loot quite a bit of money from the nobles and governors? Master Sergeant Top Pike asked. Shouldn't we have millions instead? No, that is incorrect, Master Sergeant. W.O. Jean shook her head. Most of the items we retrieved were only valuable to the eyes of the collector. There is no value to us and no one will buy it from us. Even if we traded away to the Isles, they wouldn't be worth much. Also, most of the recovered treasure was used to pay for the construction projects and compensation to the citizens of Orwell's Point for the release of the slaves, W.O. Jean explained. After deducting our monthly expenses and setting aside a small reserve for any unexpected events, we only have enough to fund our ongoing contracts and projects for another eight months. That is, of course, without any other major incident, added W.O. Jean. So, in short, Commander took over and addressed everyone, we need to make money. Can't we force the two cities to purchase our currency in exchange for gold and silver? Chief Engineer Matt asked. Didn't we do that with Haven at the start? No, 
W.O. Jean replied, We printed our own currency and start is due to us not having any reserves of gold and silver to tap on. Also, Haven has a closed loop of production and sales. Hence, we can use our own currency without any issues as we have no external trade. But once we start dealing with the free merchants of the Isle Merchants, W.O. Jean said, we need hard currency in the form of gold and silver as our own printed currency has no face value in their markets. Even our newly acquired cities, W.O. Jean pointed out, the locals need gold and silver to trade with the surrounding communities and even traders from afar. Implementing our own currency forcibly could cause quite a bit of backlash amongst the locals there. We can only do it step by step and our currency achieves recognition amongst the trade guilds. How about taxes? Someone asked. Increase them. No. Commander Ford replied immediately. We still need to pacify the locals of Orwell's Point and Fall Edge. Increasing taxes will be, um, bad. Well, I think there's only one thing we can do, Chief Engineer Matt said. Trade our advanced stuff out. Well, that's one idea. Commander Ford nodded. But we need to set the type of things that we want to sell out and then we'll not give others a military and technological advantage over us. Now we can make salt and sell them. Dr. Sharon suggested, I can think of some trade items that we can produce and sell them, like luxury textiles or clothes, high-quality glassware, perfume or jewelry. Hell, even our factories can make diamonds out of carbon. Good idea, Commander Ford said. I got homework for you all. I want you all to list out anything that'll be received well with the merchants since most of the guests are still in Haven. You guys have two days max. Everyone nodded and started discussing amongst themselves about what items would make good income with the UN as they left the conference room leaving Commander Ford behind who rubbed his head. Damn, when is Blake returning? Goblin Coast Rest and Recreation Resort Shireen laid her head down on Blake's chest as they cuddled together on the beach chair watching the sun setting over the sea while Blake unconsciously rubbed Shireen's head. This is nice, Shireen purred against Blake's chest, just doing nothing. Yeah, Blake nodded and rubbed his chin on Shireen's soft hair, but, uh, I feel a bit worried about the rest. Shireen shook her head and said in a complaining tone, Hey, no work topic is allowed. We are here to relax and enjoy ourselves. Blake laughed and gave a squeeze to Shireen until she squeaked. He returned his glance back to the sandy pink white beaches with the sea so clear that it was almost invisible. He purposely had to resort both at this beautiful beach for his crew to get some rest and recreation on this planet. Hey, Blake returned, rubbing Shireen's head. I want to ask you something. What is it? Shireen replied. I I want to pull my people out of combat in the frontline duty, Blake hesitantly said. Do you think it'll cause any issues with the rest? You mean ourselves? Shireen used the term and humans called people on this planet. Well, I guess some people might find it unfair and biased. Blake nodded inside. That was what I was afraid of. But I think you should do it. Shireen turned her head up and smiled at Blake. You and your people had sacrificed a lot for us. But, Blake sighed, we're the United Nation. It would really be unfair for those to give their lives for a nation if my people just stay in safe jobs. Silly. Shireen placed both her palms on Blake's cheeks and kissed him. If your people keep dying, how many of you will be left? Just you alone. How can you live with that? Blake leaned forward and kissed her back. Honor, courage, ethics, loyalty, these are the core values taught to me in the Navy. Don't worry, she reassured Blake. Your people have done a lot for us. In fact, you should make them all into teachers. They are more valuable teaching and passing on their knowledge than fighting in the front lines. You should protect them well. Thank you, Blake smiled lovingly at his understanding wife. 
Okay, enough work topics, Shireen parted. We only have two weeks of holiday. <laughs> Blake laughed. It's called a honeymoon. I still don't understand why the humans call it a honeymoon, Shireen sighed at Blake. And the moon is sweet, like honey. You humans are weird. Well, you married a weird human, Blake laughed again. Well, still nice to do nothing for two weeks. Well, should we make good use of these two weeks, Shireen winked at Blake. After all, we might get busy when we return. <laughs> Fortress Singapore Conference Room Commander Four lowered the scroll he was reading and eyed the two Birdie Isle leaders seated in front of him. A Technology and Magic Exchange Treaty Yes, Lord Ford, First Fleet Master Koze replied. We are willing to trade our shipbuilding techniques and advice for your shipwrights. We will also provide preferable terms to any trade items you need, Fleet Master Koze said. And in return, Commander Ford asked, secretly excited. We wanted you to teach us the basic magic of moving wagons, Fleet Master Koze stated frankly. Also those trains that could carry many people and goods. And also the franchise thing for the burgles, Fleet Master John added inside. Hmm, Commander Ford frowned. You want to learn how to build cars, trains and make burgers? Yes, yes, Master Fleet de Jean nodded eagerly. And of course, we would like also to learn how to build ships made of iron. Commander Ford tapped the rolled up scroll against the table and pondered the terms. Tell you the truth, burgers are easy and teaching you about vehicles isn't an issue here. It's more manufacturing them. For example, Commander Ford explained to the two confused leaders, Take a normal carriage. You got a skilled carpenter and wheelwrights to build the carriage. How long do you think it takes to learn the skills? One year? Two years? Commander Ford asked. Fleet Master John frowned and said, They will have to be apprenticed for four to six years before they can be considered a full-fledged craftsman. Well, Commander Ford interrupted, You get the idea. Making a vehicle is just the same. Look, you need many years to learn how to build all of these things. I see, Fleet Master Kose nodded in understanding. How about we trade for some of those wagons instead? That can be arranged, I believe, Commander Ford grinned. But of this will be purely a trade deal. And the ships of iron, Fleet Master John inquired. I know mastery of shipbuilding takes a lot of time. I'm willing to bring over 200 of my finest shipwrights to live here and work here for five years. Commander Ford shook his head. No, I'm sorry. We'll not teach you how to build ships of iron. It's a military secret. He had thought of sending one of them to the new all-steel corvettes that was under construction the moment the Isles, but rejected the thought immediately as he recalled that they were ocean-going nation with lots of skilled shipwrights who could easily reverse-engineer the ship if they ever bought it. Even if they can't make the steel frames for the ships, they could still learn a lot from the designs to improve their own ships. For all vehicles, it would be impossible for them to rebuild unless they learn combustion, some form of engineering, and even the means and capabilities to build the tools needed to build the vehicles. And what do you want in return for the wagons? Fleetmaster Kose asked. Food? Oars? Spices? Ships? Gold. Commander Ford gave a sly smile. I want cold, hard cash. End of chapter. Chapter 262. Word of Mouth. Outskirts of Bluewood Imperial Capital, the dragon riders riding into the village hall was a sight to behold for little John. He ran off chasing after the galloping dragons and the armored riders, ignoring the yell from his father at the bakery. He ran as fast as his little legs could carry him, and he found two dragon riders stomping before the village head. The small crowd had gathered and the small dirt square before the village hall as they whispered curiously at why the Emperor's men were here. 
It was not the time yet for the autumn tax collection. Little John squeezed himself through the crowd and stood behind the wooden fence, watching the two riders in their silver armor and blue cloaks fluttering in the wind dismount their land dragons. The land dragon's nostrils puffed out smoke and the cold air and turned the hot breaths into vapor. The soldiers with the red plume on his helmet unfurled a scroll and addressed the crowd in a loud voice. Citizens, we are at war. The southern borders are under attack by barbarians and rebels who worship the demons. Our emperor has called upon you to help defend our great empire. Each family has to contribute one male, foot and sound of mind, the herald declared. The village will have to contribute an extra ten stones of grain or equivalent value in gold. Instantly, the villagers all cried out in shock. Ten stones of grain were equal to twice the amount of taxes that they had to pay for each harvest season. And with the draft, who knows how many will return in one piece. Race to the emperor! Long live the emperor! The herald ignored the cries of despair. By the end of the season, the collectors will come for the men and grain. The herald pasted a decree on the village notice board with some sticky tree gum and vaulted back onto his mount and prepared to ride off. My lords, please have mercy, the village head called out. If we have all our food to the stalls away, how will the rest of us survive the coming winter? That is your problem, the herald said in a disinterested tone. Not mine. Now move out of the way or be trampled over. Without giving the village head a moment to react, the herald and his escort rode off, nearly trampling the elderly village head who sat at the side of the dirt road crying. Little John did not understand why everyone was so sad and afraid that he was too young to understand what was going on. He ran back to the bakery and found his father rolling dough at the kitchen. Da! Da! he called out. Soldiers came! So what did the soldiers come for? His father smiled at Little John, who climbed up onto a chair and watched. Soldiers said something, but everyone sat and crying. Little John frowned as he tried to recall the words he said. Soldiers said many words. Say that we are at war with barbarians and demons. Say we go fight war, need food and gold. Little John said, proud that he managed to recall most of the words spoken. His father paused at his work, his expression suddenly dark. He gave a deep sigh and took a cloth to wipe the flower-stained hands before he carried little John in his arms. What's the problem, Dada? Nothing. His father gave a sad smile to his son. Do not worry, my son. Let us go find your mother. Sure. All around the empire, messengers and heralds visited villages, towns, and even cities, delivering the decree by the emperor. Teams of imperial quartermasters visited the warehouses and markets, ordering the merchants to sell their grain at the lowest price or were given promissory notes, making hundreds of small-time traders bankrupt overnight as all the stores were taken away. Slaves were also taken away by the imperial army and told that they can have their chance at freedom if they fight for the empire. Armories were emptied and the blacksmiths were all drafted to work, making new blades, armor, and even maintenance of the imperial armory's current stockpile. Elsewhere, legions were recalled from the garrisons and ordered together at the south staging point of the city of Silverstone. Bluewood, Imperial Capital, Merchant District. Potter peeked out from the curtains and closed the store, checking the dark streets for any signs of movement. Once he was satisfied that it was all quiet, he went upstairs to the second floor of his study and quickly wrote down several lies on a small piece of scroll. 
Once he was done, he rolled the scroll into a small wooden tube the size of a finger and placed a small enchantment on the tube, making it glow briefly. He went up to the roof of his store and peered over the roof, double-checking again for any unusual activity down in the streets. Seeing none, he took out a whistle and blew it in gently and waited in the cold. After a turn of the glass, a dark shadow suddenly descended from the skies and landed on the roof. A long-winged virum stretched out its dark grey-green feathered wings out, reaching almost two meters in length. The virum, looking like a Terran chicken with super-long wings and tail, eyed the merchant with its intelligent-looking eyes. It accepted the morsel of meat offered by the merchant and lapped a bowl of water offered. Potter quickly attached the message tube onto the leg of the virum while they were feeding. He placed a few more pieces of meat for the virum and waited for it to finish its meal. Once sated, the virum stretched out its long wings and again, with a mighty sweep, it took off from the roof and disappeared into the dark night. After seeing the virum disappearing into the skies, Potter gave out a relieved sigh and returned downstairs. Once the message was received on the other end, he would get paid a gold for his services. Thinking about the money he was about to earn made Potter happy and he's left the store to return home. Elsewhere, dozens of similar incidents were occurring as merchants and information brokers started sending out word of news of war. Nobles and even merchants of guilds paid good money to be informed of such news as it could mean profit or loss for them. Knowing where to sell goods at the highest prices was always a merchant guild's highest priority, while the nobles wanted to know where to avoid and when to stay low to avoid getting taxed by the men drafted into war. Part by part, news of the Empire preparing for war was passed down the chain weeks later. Word of the Empire's arming mobilizing came to the ears of the UN Naval Intel Division. UN City of Haven Second Lieutenant Tavar started off his day with the usual routine, reading the local newspapers and having breakfast with tea. He missed coffee, even those instant three-in-one mixes, but unfortunately, the UNS Singapore's remaining stores of coffee and instant powder had run out months ago. Those that still had a pack or two were hoarding them more jealously than a dragon and its cheese fries. Worse yet, exploration and survey had yet to find a coffee substitute here on the planet, meaning that he had to switch his taste to drinking the local tea here, which taste closely resembled those on Earth. After breakfast and reading were done, he dressed for work and reached his office at 0800 hours and started reviewing all the reports that had piled up on his tray. Most reports were regarding the regional areas from the UN, from the mood of the people to the price of markets, attacks or sightings of monsters, to even rumors and fairy tales. He had trained a small corps of intelligence agents from local volunteers and even a couple marines which he poached over. He mostly picked those who were natives in the region and assigned them accordingly to make full use of the familiarity with the area. Once assigned to an area, the agents would fill in a cell which rebuys and collects information of all kinds before transferring it back with a portable radio. So far, due to lack of manpower and resources, his agents had only managed to cover till several kilometers off the borders of the UN. Tevar would spend the rest of the morning going through all the reports and filtering them according to the levels of credibility and threat. Things like stolen items, he would place them on a low-priority list with sightings of monsters moving and missing farm animals. He would place them on a high-priority list to be investigated. Once he had sorted out the reports for the day, he would break for lunch. His subordinates would either have their meal or continue their work, filing in reports from his agents and government bodies. After his meal, he would visit the holding cells in the prison deck and the ship who turned into a fortress. 
High-level prisoners were kept in especially created cells that both physically and magically restrained them. Next, he went to the VIP cells where the cells were more like rooms, comfortably decorated as the prisoners were more under house arrest than anything. He stopped before VIP cell 07 and trapped a few commands into the keypad next to the door. Instantly, the window next to the wall opened up and allowed Tewa to look into the room. The boy and the slave girl looked up from their books that they were reading at the window of Pacey cleared as they saw their jailer standing there. When are you planning to release us? The boy yelled as he stormed over to the window. How long are you planning on keeping us locked up? When we fully verify your identity and what you said were the truth, Tava's voice came over the speaker. I had told the truth. The boy hammered his fists against the armored sapphire glass windows. I am the prince of the Bluewood Empire. I demand... Tava tapped away at the darkening window as he tapped controls, turning the window opaque again. He hummed a tune as he strolled off back towards his office, ignoring the dull thumps coming from the room. Sir, one of his subordinates greeted Tavar as he entered the intelligence office. We've gotten word of something urgent. You need to see this quick. Tavar nodded and took the report slip from the operator. He scanned through the contents twice and turned to the ops room filled with intelligence analysts. He clapped his hands loudly, gaining the attention of all the intelligence staff. All right, people, Tavor addressed everyone in the ops room. We just got word that the Empire is doing bulk purchases of grain, dried rations, iron leather, arrowheads, and all sorts of miscellaneous little things needed for an army. Looks like the Empire is preparing for war, one of the intelligence analysts said. Yes, Tavor nodded, but against who, where, and when? Now, contact your agents. I want to know for certain is the Empire mobilizing its troops, Tavor ordered. I want to know where the troops are headed. I want to know when, Table continued. I want to know who they are attacking. And I want to know these facts by yesterday, Table roared. Go find out what is happening to the Empire now. Yes, sir, all the staff cried out as they returned to their workstations and donned their headsets and started contacting ground agents. Tavar returned to his office and sat down, holding a slip of a report in his hands as he reread it again and mumbled to himself. Am, are those blue boys finally making their move now? End of chapter. Chapter 363. Year 2. UN City of Haven, Hotel de Locus. Rockets whistled into the skies before popping and the eye-searing colors of fireworks were set off throughout the city in celebration for the second founding day. Everyone was in high spirits and partied away all night long. Captain Blake and his wife were dancing on the roof of the hotel while other guests mingled with each other. They only paused to watch the fireworks display exploding magnificently in the skies before they resumed the slow dance. Two weeks is too short, Shireen complained. I want a holiday. <laughs> Blake laughed at Shireen's antics. Duty calls. Shireen made an impatient click with her tongue. Yes, work never ends. When all is over, Blake tilted Shireen's chin up and looked deep into her eyes. I promise you we'll go for a holiday as long as you want. Promise, Shireen smiled. I promise, Blake smiled back. Officer's oath. All right, Shireen leaned into Blake as they danced slowly. I heard the rumors from the Isles that the Empire is coming again. Yes, Blake nodded. Intel has already picked up troop movements within the Empire. They're coming here, Shireen asked. When? Most likely after winter, replied Blake. We got reports of bulk purchases of supplies of food and weapons from merchants, and we should be the only threat left on this continent other than the Isles. When will the war end? Shireen gave a sad sigh. It's so silly. Can't we ask for peace? 
Peace through superior firepower, Blake said in a wise tone before he gave a grin. Oh, we'll have peace, but it must be on our terms, and to do that, we need a bloody the Emperor's nose so badly that he'll think thrice before even waging war against us again. But how many will die for that peace? Shireen asked. How many must we kill before he is willing to stop the war? Too many to count, my dear, Blake suggested. But to protect our people, we must fight. I uh, understand, but I do not have to like it, Shireen frowned. I was told, too, that our treasury was low in funds. Ah, yes, Blake felt embarrassed, but do not worry, we worked out a deal with the Isles to sell some of our vehicles. Hmm, Shireen gave a thoughtful look to Blake. Well, we do have all the wedding gifts from the merchants sitting around just looking pretty. Blake laughed, seriously, you want to sell back the wedding gifts to the very people who gifted them to us for our wedding in the first place? It's just a thought, Shireen gave a naughty smile. <laughs> UN, City of Avon, Residential District. What? A high-pitched shriek pierced through the dreams of Watts, making his jerk upright in bed involuntarily. Get up, you lazy ass! Watts blinked as beady eyes as he stared his plump green wife in a daze. His wife slammed a pan against his head, knocking him back in his so-so-soft inviting pillows with a loud clang. Get sups! His smack on the pan finally knocked the sleepless out of the head of Watts, and the terrible headache instead. He rubbed the egg-sized lump starting to form on his head tenderly and hopped off the short-legged bed and walked to the bathroom. He stared at the mirror and the green-yellow face with a large knob-shaped nose. Two sleepy eye, browless beady eyes stared back at him. He turned the tap and splashed water onto his face before he did a potty business and went to the kitchen where one of his wives was busy making breakfast. Both of his wives were short, plump and green-toned with a mop of hair growing over their oversized heads. One had dark green hair, while the other had orange hair. Female goblins generally had hair, while males tended to be bald. They both wore an apron over the long t-shirt that almost reached their calves and were busy cooking at the stove. The smell of burnt toast, eggs and fat made him salivate as he sat down. His wife banged the plate, brown toast, eggs and sausages before him. Eat, Spaz, you're late for works. Watts gave a grin and dug into his breakfast while his two wives shook their heads at him while he shoveled all the greasy contents into his mouth. His wives chose not to argue about his tardiness and instead shooed him out of the door. He quickly donned his work overalls and toolbar before he left the apartment to walk to the factory plant. Watts took a public bus squeezing together with the other long legs. He had to tiptoe to look out the window of the bus to see the scenery outside. He rode in silence and listened to the gossip amongst the commoners. Most of the talk was about the wedding between the human boss and the princess and founding day. Soon, his stop arrived, and he stepped out in the rest and headed towards the factory with the tall spires as they were belching out thick black smoke. What? A thunderous yell greeted Watts when he inserted a punch card into the machine that spat the card out with a rattle. Watts turned, and he saw the floor manager stomping over towards him. His hobgoblin face red from either heat or anger. Yes, manager? Watts put on his most innocent face that he could. Was can Watts do for manager? Do you? The hobgoblin's face scrunched up into a growl. You can do well not to come in late again. In fact, you can forget about coming in here no more. You're fired. Mercy, boss manager. Watts cried out quickly. You know fire me, Watts world worker. Hard worker, my butt. The manager cursed, you're late, five times this week, fight, fired. But how Watts support two wives? Watts asked in a pitiful voice. Watts need the creds for food and housing. You no know, fire me, please. 
"'Out!' the manager growled as he pounded his meaty fist into his palm, making a loud smack. "'Or I'd throw you out!' "'No!' Watts quickly turned and ran out of the factory in despair. "'Damn! How Watts look after Wise? Maybe Watts divorce?' He sighed as he walked off in low spirits, wondering what he should do next. "'If he tells the Wise, both of them will surely skin him alive for losing his job for the third time this month.' "'Oh, machine guards give poor Watts a sign!' He paused before a rumbling truck as the truck rolled off. He was surprised to see the crude statue of a goblin under the shack right across the road from him. Curious, he wandered over to take a closer look and found that the simple shack was filled with many small trinkets and machine parts. There were even a few rotting carcasses of rodents and animal skulls stacked to his side as the other junk. Watts turned his attention to the crude-looking statue that appeared to be made out of scrap metal and welded it together into form on that kind of looked like a goblin with an oversized right arm. He then noticed a small hand-made metal plaque with some scratched words on it and a closer look. His eyes widened in surprise at the written text. Here stands the greatest gob hero ever's. Here's Greg the Great. It's a strange Greg. Watts was pleasantly surprised. He quickly dug into his tool belt and found a few bits of screws and bolts, and he placed them down on the top piece of the unknown machine part as an offering and gave a prayer to the machine gods. I know. Watts suddenly clapped his hands together, and inspiration hit him. I shall join the Air Force, like Greg. Fortress, Singapore, Captain's Quarters. Sir, we can expect the Imperials to hit us after winter, Blake asked. Lieutenant Tavar nodded and said, That'll be roughly the timetable for the Imperials. Currently, all intel collections suggest that they were building their stock of food and weapons while their troops gather in training and conscripts. So, we have four to five months, give or take, Commander Ford said. Well, I guess it gives us some time to train up the SDF and the least competent level of fixed defenses. Blake nodded. Good thing now. It's going to be winter. It's a lull time for most traditional farms and business. We can start education classes and training for the new citizens. The marines will be fully trained and equipped with the new rifles and weapons by then, Colonel Frank added. And once Intel knows where they are planning to hit, we can move our troops to intercept them. Thank God we made a deal with the Isles, Ford said. If not, I wonder how we were going to finance this war. Blake gave a grin. Well, all thanks to you, we have some more money now. Crap, Ford sighed. I just realized this war will drain the military budget away from the Navy. Everyone laughed at the chief of naval operations' luck. God damn it, Ford cursed. I keep getting the short end of the stick here. I want ships, aircraft carriers, battleships, missile destroyers, Aegis cruisers. Uh. Everyone laughed again at Ford gave up. I think at this rate my position will be some empty title. Relax, Blake gestured to Ford. Now is not the time to expand the navy yet. Once we deal with the Empire and have a peace, we will focus on exploration. That's when the Navy will come in. True, Ford nodded before he turned to the intel officer. So what are the estimated numbers that we're looking at? So far, we have some intel of the troops being pulled out of garrisons, Tevar replied. Their insignia looks like the Imperial Army, which is the Emperor's main standing army. We had yet to find out how many auxiliary troops will be raised by the Empire's nobles, nor their assets that they will be bringing over as of yet. My agents are still doing their best to collect information, Tavor explained. Problem is, there's a time lag between each agent, and also our intelligence network is still pretty new and limited. Once we pinpoint the location of the staging area, we can start to estimate the total number of soldiers, Tavor said, but we've identified roughly two approaches that they might attack from. 
Davar pointed to a map, tapping on the full-edge burst before he tapped on another area, roughly 50 kilometers west, away from Orwell's point. These two. Full-edge originally is the gateway to the uncharted forest, which, as our old friend Duke Strom used as a staging area, Tavar said, and this point here is also another way into the uncharted forest. Unless they plan to attack Orwell's point, Tavor traced his finger on the map. The terrain here is almost suited for marching troops. Blake nodded. Okay, keep collecting as much information as possible. I want to know the enemy's total strength, fighting powers, and their air assets. For the military side, Blake turned to Colonel Frank. Start the SDF program now. Recruit anyone interested to train them at Camp Alpha. They need to be trained to the level of Marines, but at least train the same tactics. Tommy... Blake addressed the Air Force commander. Work out a plan to provide air supremacy and support for the ground forces. Also, start looking for a new place to construct new air bases to support Full Edge. Chief Matt, Blake said lastly to the engineer. Get the factories into war footing. Prioritize all military needs first. I want every Marine to be armed with the latest rifles before midwinter and all prototype weapons to be running and tested. And the high wall to Orwell's point must be completed before the end of winter, Blake said. I also want a permanent road or highway to Forledge once the construction of the Northeast Highway is completed. Gentlemen, we might have a season to prepare, but still, we are running against the clock now, Blake said to everyone. We need to ensure that we have everything we need to fight and protect what we have now. Everyone clear with their duties? Yes, sir. End of chapter. Chapter 364. Winter Plans. Life for the average family before winter was usually spent stockpiling their larder with winter stores and preparing firework. Herders would cull their flock, slaughtering the old and weak animals they were not expected to survive over the cold months. And when the herders did the slaughtering, it would generally be a festival for the village or towns, as everyone would help out. The meat would be salted or smoked and portioned out to the helpers and sold to others. The children, on the other hand, would pick firework and the last of the autumn berries and tubers while under the watch of the adults. As for those that lived in cities, food and firewood were instead purchased from markets. The female folk would spend their time airing out and mending winter clothes, working generally slowed down due to the cold weather and shorter days. Only the mines had increased output as they generally be a larger amount of people taking up an extra job during winter. Even for Titania, who had servants and slaves in her estate, experienced what generally would be a common for her people during winter. Yet now, her common sense was overturned again, as she looked at the sight of bright, blasting city. Normally, in winter, unless there wasn't any snow, people would only venture out to taverns for a drink to warm themselves up or get drunk. Rarely would anyone with any sense want to walk in the dark, freezing cold at all. Yet, before her eyes, she could see the drifts of white fluffy snow dripping down from the heavens and the crowd of people before her was something that she could not understand. She stood under the cover of the umbrella held by Mills, who was pointing at the various stalls on both sides of the street. Oh, Mills exclaimed, you need to try that. The hot dogs are pretty good, and that takiyaki. Titania felt overwhelmed by the sights, sounds, and smell. She realized that her first impression of Mills and his people was so wrong that she felt ashamed for calling them barbarians. She stopped and pulled at Mills' arms. Wait, wait, wait. What's wrong? Mills stopped in his tracks. You want to eat something else? Yes, no, I mean, no, Titania fumbled. No, I want to ask, why is there a market in the middle of the street and at night when it's still snowing? 
Oh, this is the Winter Festival street food, Mills grinned. They did this last year and it was very popular, so they organized another food festival this year too. But why in the cold? Titania hissed in the cold. Well, it was to celebrate the hard times that passed, I think, Mills replied. Anyway, come try this. He dragged his shivering Titania into a large open tent with several tables filled with patrons sat around in hot, steaming soup and plates of food. If you're cold, you need to eat this. Mills sat Titania down at an empty table, and not long later, a server came over with a wide pot full of some kind of soup that had a layer of red oil floating on top. The server activated the magic rune on the middle of the table before placing the pot on top. This is a spicy hot pot, it'll warm you right up, Mills said as he took off the gloves. Mills quickly made the orders of some plates and raw meat and vegetables were carried over by the server. By the time the soup had started to boil, Mills taught Titania how to eat hot pot by tossing the meat and vegetables into the soup. Her first bite of cooked meat left her taste buds burning from the spice, making her cough. Mills grinned and poured her a cup of mulled wine as she quickly drank it down and made her already flushed face redder. Take it slowly, Mills laughed as he took some soup. Don't rush. Soon Titania was starting to enjoy the spicy hot pot the heat from the spices making her warm while the meat and soup filled her belly. After she was full, Titania raised the question, Mills, are we returning to Orwell's Point by the end of this month to take the city governor? How about you? Well, I've got my deployment orders too, Mills grinned mischievously. Yes, where I'm posted. Where? Same as me, Titania asked and eyed Mills with a smile and suspicion. Really? Yep, Mills nodded. I'm being assigned to your military liaison and visor. Titania quickly hid her smile and said in an indifferent tone, I see. I guess we can still see each other then. <laughs> Mills laughed and poured another cup of wine for Titania. Well, here's to our new posting. Cheers. UN Orwell's Point Marine Stronghold Marine Captain Joseph climbed down the hatch of the FB-1 Mariner and walked over to the waiting jeeps. Back to base and called for an immediate staff meeting. His waiting aide nodded and used the jeep's mounted radio and started dialing back the base while the driver started the vehicle. Within seconds, they drove away from the airstrip and into the city, heading back to the marine stronghold in the middle of the city. Joseph entered the old library turned conference room in the stronghold and found all his staff already arrived. He nodded and handed a memory stick over to his aide who plugged it into the display and started the briefing. All right, we got new intel suggesting that the Imperial Army is on the march. Joseph bluntly said, Intel has no concrete numbers as of yet, but estimates are roughly a quarter of a million strong. We got time till the start of spring when the ice stalls and the Imperial Army advances. Joseph looked at everyone in the eye. Another thing, Intel has no idea where they will be attacking from as they are still gathering information as of the staging points and supply depots. So, what we need to do is start planning and preparing for the attack. Joseph said, and also, all local militia and volunteers are to be shipped back to Haven for training and integration into the self-defense force HQ has come up with. They will be trained in tactics of the Marines, so it is easier to fight alongside them. Once their training is over, they will return to take over the garrison of the city and defend it, while the Marines will be a mobile force, Joseph added. So, put in preparations for handover duties and responsibilities over to the SDF when they return. Questions? UN Forledge Avrin Silverhand had to endure the ear-numbing roar of the Hilo engine for four hours as he shuttled over by helicopter, rather than an airplane due to the airstrip and foreledge was barely even built. 
He stepped off the sausage-shaped flying contraption and several of the instructions of Camp Alpha waiting for him at the side of the landing pad. They saluted him as he approached and broke into laughter when he rolled his eyes at them. Congratulations, the lieutenant human called Collins said as he shook his hands. Someone's a captain now. Arvin shook his head. This promotion should be yours, you know, a CEO of 3rd Battalion. Nah, I got assigned to the governor of Four Ledges military liaison and advisor, Collins grinned. They want me to look after the new governor. Anyway, I heard you got a militia to train here into the self-defense force, Collins asked. Yes, Arvin nodded. We got three months to get them to shape and ready for the Empire. Collins nodded. Damn blue boys, they just couldn't stop. We have a lot of work to do, Collins said next. The airbase for the Air Force has to be built quickly. The city walls need to be rebuilt and reinforced. Roads and supply depots constructed too. And all this has to happen before spring. Fortress, Singapore, Captain's Quarters We kind of settled our current money needs, Blake said to Shireen, but that is not a stopgap measure. We need more ways to generate income. Well, in my time, the kingdom makes money by taxes, tolls, trades, and owning gold or silver mines, Shireen replied. Well, you don't have any nobles to draw funds from, nor any mines producing gold or silver either. We're already doing trade, but it's not very stable income, Blake said. As for taxes, I don't want to raise it too high. As for gold and silver mines, we have yet to discover any gold and silver veins yet, Blake added. How about selling more of your technology? Shireen suggested. Hmm, that is not a long-term option, Blake replied. Maybe. Maybe it's time to reopen the dungeon. Oh, Shireen tilted ahead. Dungeons make good money. There also have a lot of treasure inside. Blake nodded. I'm thinking of unsealing the lower levels and starting exploring again. Maybe we can find enough treasures in the lower levels to finance us for one or two years. Or at least for this coming war. Shireen sighed. I hope this will be the last war we ever have to fight. Blake shook his head. That's impossible. Where there's a greed, there'll be war. Oh, I also had my men transfer away from the front lines, Blake said. I hope you can forgive me for this. Silly, Shireen gave Blake a hug. I already gave my consent, didn't I? Thanks, Blake smiled. So how's your work in City Hall? Well, I'm sending teachers over to both Orwell's Point and Forledge to start providing basic classes to everyone and also building primary schools for the children, Shireen said. Since it's winter, most people are generally freed from the usual work and chores, making it a good time for studying. I also have teams of teachers traveling to the outlying farming communities and villages to teach and educate the farmers and their families. Shireen said, topics will include the elementary lessons and the farmers on new ways to grow the crops. But I expect that there will be some resistance from the people. Shireen gave a sigh. It's not easy trying to convince people they'd set in the old ways to change, especially when most of them think that reading and writing is a skill for the rich. Blake nodded. But for the nation to prosper, education is a must. Yes, said Shireen, yet there will still be people against it, thinking it's a waste of time. Well, do what you can for everyone, Blake said. Ensure mandatory classes for the children at least. This way, they at least have some starting knowledge. It'll be a very tough challenge, Shireen said while holding a fist up, but worthwhile challenge. Blake smiled at Shireen's gesture before saying in a serious tone, I'm having Chief Matt move one of his construction machines forward to Forledge. They will begin building a new highway that'll link to Northeast Highway once work is being completed on the current project. We will need plans for the evacuation of the city should the Empire break past our defensive lines, Blake said. City Hall needs a plan in place for mass evacuation and also a staging point for evacuees. Shireen nodded thoughtfully. 
You're right. We can't leave everything to chance. I'll get my people to work out the best evacuation routes for both cities. But I trust that our people will successfully defend against the Empire, Shireen said proudly. Of course, Blake smiled. Once we have intel on where the Imperial Army is staging their soldiers and supply depots, I'll send bombers to hit them. I'm going to fight dirty, no point letting our people get killed for nothing. I will show the Empire the might of the UN military's technology and firepower. End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated. And I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.